What is up? Welcome back to the Pack Center Podcast, your one-stop shop for anything Nevada athletics, episode 133. I am your host, Matt Hannity. I'm here with my host, Isaiah Bros. Isaiah, we're in this room again. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a little gonna be a little bit of an adjustment, but you know what? Content needs to be made, and we're going to get through it. We have some stuff to get into. We have Nevada football in their recap versus Fresno State. We have men's basketball won yesterday against uh, William Jessup. But first, before we talk about any of that, we need to talk. We need to discuss and outline these Mountain West tiebreakers for the listeners listening at home on how Nevada can make the Mountain West championship game. So last week, we everyone thought, not just us, but everyone thought that if Nevada were to win out, meaning beat Fresno State, which they did, spoiler alert for those who don't know, and beat Fresno State, or beat San Jose State, that we would get that head-to-head tiebreaker with San Jose State, who is still currently undefeated, and we would make the Mountain West title game. That's apparently not the case. And when I was looking over it, when we faced San Diego State, remember how I outlined the tiebreakers and all of that? I missed that completely, and part of that's on me. But Nevada will will have to win still. But they also need some other luck and some other help. They don't completely control their destiny like they like we thought. No, it's a headache for sure. I mean, as a listener, I think you got to grab your popcorn, relax because um, it's a little weird. It's a little funky. We need some things to break in our way, as well as a win in our favor. So. I don't think Nevada fans will be eating popcorn. They might be drinking their own sweat during Boise State. Uh, or okay, so <laughs> the tiebreaker or the so, so let's there's three true scenarios for Nevada. There's technically four scenarios, but three true scenarios for Nevada because regardless of what happens in the Boise State Wyoming game, Nevada if Nevada loses, they're up, and so that doesn't matter. So Nevada will have to beat San Jose State. And Boise State will have to beat Wyoming. Because Nevada, San Jose State, and Boise State are the three teams in contention for the Mountain West Championship. They're the only three teams who can make it, who are eligible to make it. Well, technically everyone's eligible because they played the allotted games, but they're the only teams who are who will make it. A combination of those three. And the kicker is is it goes it does not necessarily go by winning percentage. It goes by the loss column. And in that scenario, Boise State would be undefeated. They'd be 5-0 and in conference if they won their game. San Jose State and Nevada would each have one loss. San Jose State would be 5-1. and Nevada would be 7-1 because Nevada would play the entire game. But you would think that Nevada would still have that precedence if they beat San Jose State. But if they beat San Jose State and Wyoming loses... Then, or if they beat San Jose State and Wyoming wins, then that means all three of them would have one loss. And consider the way the Mountain West is wording it is that they would have to beat they they would have to figure out who like similar competition like head to head for the teams that they all three of them faced. And the highest team in the conference that all three of them faced were would be Hawaii. San Jose State. Or, yeah, San Jose State and Boise State both beat Hawaii. Nevada did not beat Hawaii. So, therefore, San Jose State and Boise State would still get the tiebreaker. That is so much to take in, but it's a headache. 
And it sucks. It's something you kind of mentioned. We did not really see this coming at all heading into the Fresno State week, but that's how it's going to have to play out. And let's go Boise State. Never thought I'd be saying that, but oh well. Nevada fans rooting for Boise State is, I mean, that's something that you can get kicked out of your house if you're a Nevada fan. It, I don't know. It depends. That scene, that's unprecedented. That's, that's, that's wild, and that's just weird that it, it's come to this point. Nevada's played all of their games. Nevada doesn't necessarily control their own destiny, and the part that doesn't make sense to me is Nevada can beat San Jose State. They could have the highest winning percentage in the conference, and yet they, San Jose State would still get in over. In a circumstance, not it's unlikely that Boise State's going to lose, but you I mean you don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it's just up in the air at this point. I mean, we do have a few scenarios that can work out, but ultimately, two things need to happen for us to really guarantee us a spot. We need, we need to win ourselves, and we need to root for Boise State to win their game against Wyoming. So we will see that. And it's kind of crazy how that loss against Hawaii really comes back to haunt you, especially for Nevada who's played all eight of their games. So many teams in the conference cannot say that. Yet, that one loss can really come back and burn them if things unfold the way Nevada fans don't want them to, which in all likelihood, maybe not likelihood, but you never know. It could actually happen one way or another, whether Boise State loses or Nevada loses. But either way, I know focusing on San Jose State, another key matchup, another huge week, and... Once again, something Nevada just needs to control their destiny at some point. Need to get this win and let the cards play where they may, kind of. Yeah, they still control their destiny to an extent, but it just gives me a headache thinking about these different circumstances because, we, I mean, we all, again, we all thought that Nevada would control their own destiny. They still do to an extent because they have to win their game. If they don't win their game, none of this matters. If they lose, then they're out of the, they're out of title contention, and it's automatically going to be Boise State and San Jose State, likely in Boise anyways, regardless of the records because of the COVID stuff that's going on in San Jose or in that area of California, and so, and the Mountain the the Mountain West rule is that if the team can't host it, the team that's supposed to host it can't host it, then they would then the other team would host it. So. It's likely going to be in Boise if it's San Jose State, Boise State anyways. At least for this week, Nevada's going to have to root for Boise State. And if Boise State does their job and Nevada does their job, then it's going to be all tied, all tides turn against Boise State again, like it has been for the last several years. Oh, definitely. And that'd be fun to reunite once again in that kind of scenario. That'd be a really, really cool type of atmosphere. Not really, but be a really cool type of championship game if that were to happen, but a couple things need to work in our favor, and obviously we'll get into it real soon. Do you think, this is a question that you posted to me Saturday, but I'm going to post it back to you. Let's say Nevada wins out. Wins their game, they make it to the title game, they win the title game, they make it to a bowl game, potentially win that bowl game. This is just hypothetical. Do you think Jay Norvell goes to like a better destination in a Power 5 school? I mean, we've seen some rumors and some rumblings already about schools like Vanderbilt potentially reaching out to Jay Norvell and 
Um, I think if an opportunity like that were to present itself, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if Jay Norvell pounces on an opportunity like that. You know, I know his career record at Nevada still doesn't bode well in terms of getting those upper tier types of Division One school offers, but there's a lot of things that the stats don't show, and that's his leadership in the locker room, his ability to really coach young players, and I think Jay Norvell's done a tremendous job of that, especially these past two years with the growth of this program. And I really do believe when talking with so many of the players in the post-game press or even the action on the field that the players want to play, and they want to play for Coach Norvell. I think he has the whole guidance and trust in the locker room. and Those things bode well on a resume. And to Norvell's credit, if those things were to work out and he were to get one of those offers, I really do think he'd jump on the opportunity. I'm interested to see how you think about that. It depends. It depends on the school. Because I know he's the lowest paid coach in the Mountain West. He just signed the five-year extension. Of course, that if you get presented with a better opportunity elsewhere with more money, you're more enticed to take it. But like specifically with the Vanderbilt rumors, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to necessarily buy in it. I don't, I don't necessarily know if I think he would take that. Because it's an SEC school, I don't think he wants to jump from the Mountain West to the SEC right away. And plus, he doesn't have experience in the SEC. He has experience in the Big Ten and in the Big 12 because he was coach at Oklahoma. He was a coach at Texas. He was coach at Nebraska. And so, I don't know. I don't really know where. I mean, he might just, he might. I don't think the odds are high that he leaves anyways. But if it were to be an SEC school with that offer, I am not necessarily sure he would take it. He might. He might. It pays more money than Nevada. Nevada's kind of like a stepping stone in that aspect. But I don't know if Vanderbilt would be a place that would attract him. But then again, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, a lot of this is speculation on our part. And just everything, like we said, there's not a lot coming out in terms of Jay Norvell's getting you know, serious offers in that standpoint. But it is interesting, and you mentioned that. Obviously, Nevada, for some coaching vacancies, it is a stepping stone, and it's a way to really elevate yourself to other programs, and it would be interesting just to see if an opportunity like that would present itself, if Norvell would be able to take a step up to an SEC school like you mentioned, or any type of another, you know, make another appearance in the Big 12 or the Big 10. Do you think, another question I wanted to ask you is, what if he didn't get a head coaching gig? but he got a coordinator position or something to that nature. Do you think he would take that too for another SEC school, Big Ten, Big 12, or do you think he'd stay at Nevada at that standpoint? I think the smartest choice would be to stay at Nevada. But only because he's the head coach and he has a chance to build that resume even more because with Nevada's success this year, he has a chance to carry that over, and I don't think he would want to leave Nevada for a coordinator job at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm with you. I don't think he'd really take it. I'm not trying to say it's a step down, but it is kind of a step down from a resume standpoint, especially with the youth of this team. He really has a chance to build something special here if he stays at Nevada, and all the credit goes to him and his recruits, his recruiting process, and the development of the talent. So I really think, and that's from that standpoint, I don't think he'd take that either. But just something, just something, a little rumor, a little buzz. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think he would. It would be a couple more years, if anything, if he would stay. I don't think he would leave after one really successful season, two pretty successful seasons, and then one kind of a rebuilding, retooling kind of year. I don't think he would leave after that. Again, we don't know 
what he's being offered or if there's any actual like traction to these rumors. We just know that uh, a Vanderbilt, I think beat writer mentioned his name as a person who would be a good candidate for the Vanderbilt job because Derek Mason was just fired, I think it was last weekend. So again, <laughs> Mountain West and SEC is a huge jump, especially in football because SEC is the best conference in the nation. So. Oh, definitely. You're facing NFL caliber talent each week out. So be a huge step in competition, like you mentioned, but just something, I don't know, a big hypothetical as we near the end of this truncated eight-game season, which has gone by so quickly. It's kind of crazy, but you know what? I'm like I, I think we keep talking about it each and every podcast, just how awesome it is that we're able to play every game. Credit to Nevada as a whole, just being able to stay on the field and not have any of their games impacted to this point. And the knock on wood there, but just something to really keep an eye on. Could you imagine if Nevada's game was canceled this weekend so they wouldn't make the Mountain West title game? Don't even, don't even want to think about it. <laughs> that'd be terrible. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be... Oh, boy. That'd be tough. Yeah, because if, let's say, hypothetically, Boise State and Wyoming was canceled and Nevada and San Jose State was canceled, that means San Jose State and Boise State would get the title versus Nevada wouldn't. Because they're both undefeated. In conference. Imagine the what-if scenario that would bring, too, right? I mean, we'd be talking about that for a while. What if that game wasn't canceled? What if both of those games played out? I mean, that could really cost us in the end. But I'm confident that won't happen. Done a good job of playing and taking care of protocols to this point. So I don't expect to see any changes. Yeah, let's get that negative energy out. I, I'm, I can't believe I even mentioned yeah, I know. it. I know. Thank place. you. Anyways. Oh, and before we get to Fresno State, Nevada and San Jose State was moved to Las Vegas. It was moved to San Boyd Stadium. That game will still be on Friday at 7 p.m. CBS Sports Network. Nevada's third game in Las Vegas this year, kind of crazy. Nevada might have more wins in Las Vegas against non-Las Vegas teams than UNLV, which is phenomenal. It's funny. Um, <laughs> and it'll be Nevada's seventh game in the state of Nevada this year. So they've only left the they only left the state once, and hopefully that results in just what the lone loss against Hawaii. Of course, we don't know what will happen this week, but um, only time will tell. Yeah, I guess we'll see. So, another another potential outcome in Las Vegas. I'm looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's becoming our stomping grounds. Just got to get used to it. So, I'm happy to see it. And Okay, let's jump into Fresno State. Nevada beat Fresno State, as we mentioned earlier, 37-26. It was a very... I don't know if I have a headache from Saturday night. It's probably a combination of finals Saturday night and just thinking about the different scenarios to make it in the Mountain West title game. But that game was what? Exhausting. Especially that second half. Particularly that third quarter. Just exhausting. A lot of back and forth. A lot of uh, turnovers. A lot of, a lot of reviews. Um, it was a slow game. A lot of great offense. Fresno State, 599 yards. And the funniest part about Fresno State having 599 yards is they had 105 plays. That's insane. Crazy thing was it felt like it too. felt like they had the ball for just a very, very, very long time. And 
that was, like you said, it was a high-scoring affair. I don't know if we said the final score, but Nevada won 37-26. Like we said, it was a back-and-forth matchup, but both offenses came to play, as we talked about in the preview, and Nevada's kind of answered the bill in a lot of aspects, so credit to them. But you know what? For Fresno State's part, uh, offense didn't lose them that football game. They performed well, especially in the first half. No, the uh, special teams lost in that game. They were without their long snapper, their punter, and their kicker. They were using a wide receiver at kicker, and they used quarterback Jake Hayner for a couple pooch punts, uh, the Carson Strong special pooch punts. And, yeah, it was not good the entire night. They had a punt blocked. They had a bobbled snap on the punt. So, that obviously, that's two turnovers right there. It felt like they could. I mean, they kicked a couple extra points, but there were, I think, a retry or two because the penalties are something. And their kicker didn't have really a leg because, again, it was a wide receiver at kicker. And so, I mean, they really just had to score touchdowns the entire night and go for it on nearly every fourth down to stay in this game. They had they went three for seven on fourth down. They went nine for 21 on third down. So. That obviously extended a lot of drives, hence the reason why they had 105 plays or a big contributor to it, although that's just a few extra plays. They were, it was basically four-down territory nearly the entire night, and that's why you saw some very long... They had a 16-play drive throughout the game. I think they had a couple, like, 12, 13, 14-play drives. It was, they just had a lot of long drives and accumulated 599 yards. Nevada had 416. Um, Carson Strong did a pretty good job, 23 for 49, 354 yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions. It was kind of a roller coaster night for him. He was named the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week, which kind of surprised me a little bit because the receiver that got the most action in that game I thought was actually going to get the award, and that was true freshman Torrey Horton for Nevada. He had five catches for 148 yards and three touchdowns. Almost had a fourth if it wasn't for an interception in the second half. And... He had a great game. He had seven catches for... He didn't even have 100 career yards heading into the game, and he had two touchdowns, and he trumped all of that. He had an 85-yard touchdown on an incredible double move. He had the corner, corner pretty much just falling down on the ground. It was hilarious. Uh, ran 85 yards for a touchdown. And so, I mean, it wasn't a bad offensive game for the Pack. It certainly wasn't a great defensive game. Um, Don Peterson was back in the second half. He didn't make an appearance in the first half, so that was a good sight to see. Um, gave Nevada some extra pressure, not a whole lot, because Hayner did a good job the entire night scrambling. He didn't accumulate a lot of yards. He just accumulated 17 on 11 carries, but it felt like often when Nevada would pressure the pocket, he would get out and scramble and make plays with, not necessarily make plays with his legs, but make plays on the run with with his arm. And he would uh, buy himself some more time, and so he did a great job scrambling and a great job extending plays that really... I'm not going to say shouldn't have been extended, but just a great job avoiding pressure the entire night. I thought I got him for a couple sacks late in the game, but overall it was a very high-scoring offensive affair, and Nevada came out on top. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know we talked about how we needed kind of a bounce-back performance offensively after that kind of stinker in Hawaii, and I thought Nevada's offense, for the most part, responded very well. Carson Strong, I know he made a couple mistakes, um, and maybe a couple overthrows and some interceptions, but 
he could have had he could have had an even bigger week. I mean, he had several drops from our receivers. Romeo Dubs dropped a couple. Um, gosh, even Horton, right? Didn't Horton drop one as well? I think he did. Yeah. 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 He had he dropped. There was a deep one, I think, in the second quarter that he dropped. Yeah, just a lot of minor things like that plagued us. But no, strong. He beat himself up a lot in the post game presser about how he needs to be better and especially in the red zone where he threw his second interception of the night, like you mentioned. But Strong was spectacular. I mean, a lot of this game relied on him and his arm to really combat the high-scoring affair that was going on. And to his credit, he, he made plays, as always, and this offense as a whole just continues to impress. And for Torrey Horton, what a game because being a Fresno State native, not getting an offer from Fresno State, that being his home school, he wanted to play for them coming out of high school. Talked about in the post-game press conference just how much he wanted to make an impact that game, and he sure did. And talked about running down the sideline on that 85-yard touchdown was just a thrill for him. So the team as a whole couldn't be happier for him. Fun fact, Jay Norvell described him as a young Romeo Dubs when he entered his freshman year. So keep an eye on that. That's interesting for certain. But other than that, yeah, just another high-performance, uh, well-rounded game. I know we talked about in the, in the uh, preview Trying to get Romeo Dubs more involved. I think we did a good job of that. Team high seven catches for 97 yards. We almost connected with him on a couple deep balls, too, and he had a couple drops. So overall, offensively, I thought we performed well. And defensively, Don Peterson's return in the second half kind of sparked us, and he made a couple big plays. And overall, I thought it was a, a well-rounded game. Not a well-rounded game, no. But I think to get this win... All three phases of our football team, from offense, defense, and special teams, needed to make an impact, and we did in some form or facet. Yeah, I agree with that. Dubs did have a couple bad drops, man. He had a couple just uncharacteristic drops. It wasn't he doesn't usually drop a lot of passes, but he had a a couple beat balls in the third quarter that he dropped. He had one in the fourth that uh, he dropped. That <laughs> the play after resulted in the eighty-five yard touchdown from Horton, and so I guess uh, you get positivity out from from that regard but he had a couple bad drops they were just some bad drops throughout the game i mean it happens but hopefully we can limit those mistakes in the future and just the fact that Carson strong could have had more than 354 yards and more than five touchdowns is kind of wild i mean he's had a couple 400 yard games this year already but that potentially have more than five touchdowns and that's kind of just wild to think about but a couple of them were potentially drop touchdowns oh definitely and you can see some of the frustration on both ends from the receivers who dropped the ball on Carson Strong because he put a couple in the bread basket and you can't get just can't make him really better throw in that regard. But it's okay. You know, overall we bounce back and I don't think we'll have those uncharacteristic issues heading into San Jose State. So overall, um, I couldn't be happier to be wrong. I know I predicted Fresno State to win. I'm not gonna lie, in the first quarter, even early in that second quarter kind of looked that way. I felt like Fresno State somewhat controlled kind of the tempo of the game, but you cannot keep Nevada's offense bottled up for too long, it seems like, and it seems like that was the case last week. So big win once again for Nevada, just stringing it together. And what a, what a, I mean, no matter what happens heading into San Jose State, not into, but heading into Las Vegas against San Jose State, just what a season it's been. Just so much positivity and so much optimism for the future because we're really seeing it unfold and if there wasn't really 
a tried and true moment. I thought it was Tory Horton's breakout game, just to see kind of the the potential this team really has to grow and develop. And we've already made strides on that this year. So awesome. It was a great game. It was fun. I know it was really long. Felt like at least 16 hours combined with the post-game presser, but that's okay. That's what we're here for. Nevada had four turnovers. Fresno State had three turnovers. I took one of my keys to victory last week was forcing turnovers because Nevada's forced three all year. They forced three on on Saturday night. Like I felt like no one could hang on to the ball on both sides because of the drop passes, because of the fumbles, um, the almost fumble that Hainer had. It was it was a wild just it was just a wild game and uh, one thing I kind of want to touch on is Nevada's special teams really got got them back in this game. And that hasn't really been the case this year. I mean, our special teams has contributed, of course, with Talton. Um, we had the Dubs touchdown that was called back. So, I mean, that, of course, in week one. So that, of course, kind of, I guess, was a energy kicker for the beginning of the season. But other than that, our special teams hasn't really helped us win in a huge, ass, in a huge facet. And, of course, again, the botched handle by the punter and the blocked punt really put Nevada in good field and on those two drives. Oh, definitely. Like I mentioned, I think Nevada needed to make an impact on all three phases to win this game. And it all started with special teams. It really kick-started our offense, and we got a scoring drive put together. And even in the return game, there were some good returns to get us into, you know, at least midfield and sometimes into Bulldog territory. So I was just really impressed by that. That was a well-rounded performance on their part. And, we needed every bit of it to get back into that game early on. So that was good to see for certain. I know there were a couple big plays <laughs> that we wanted to touch upon because um, I know someone's not a fan of them. So, With the goal line fades, it, it's worked. Um, Cole Turner is making me question my, my disliking of the goal line fades typically. Nevada this year has been pretty successful with it, so I mean, I'm not going to complain at all. And Of course, if it works, I'm not going to complain about it, but Cole Turner had a couple really nice goal line fade catches, and credit to him, he won, even one of them, he drew pass interference, so I mean, if you want to call that a success, you can, but I don't think it was a catchable ball anyways, but hey, they still call the pass interference, so it worked out in Nevada's favor. But there was, there was the goal line fades. There was the Wildcat in the second half. So let's ignite the please shut up Matt Award again and again and again and again and again and again for the rest of this year. Because I've been wrong all year when it comes to picking and choosing which plays I like. Because I like, I don't like the goal line fade or the Wildcat. And Nevada was successful on both the goal line fade and the Wildcat. So it, it forced my hand. Glad you took some accountability for that. And I'm not I'm not trying to say I'm like a huge advocate for either of those plays. Maybe the goal line fade. And I've been kind of pounding the table for that, but like they're just unique play designs and you know what, they've worked to our favor to this point and I appreciate you. Goal line fade is not a unique play design. It is the most basic play design of the goal line in probably the history of football. Aside from just like a QB sneak, I guess. I like the QB sneak in in, in very goal-to-go situations on the half-yard line, but Nevada hasn't really ran that yet at all. We'll bust out the Wildcat for that. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> either way, though, yeah, I know we didn't really touch upon Cole Turner and the key performance either, but five catches, 69 yards, two touchdowns continues to just 
uh, dominate all over the Mountain West Conference, and now he's one of the. I wouldn't be surprised if he's leading, not leading, but amongst the country's top performers and tight ends in so many statistical categories. He's been awesome this year. So shout out Cole Turner as well because he's a beast. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, I actually kind of am just curious for the statistical category. Oh, cool. Google uh, Chrome isn't working right now on my computer. That's always lovely. You always love to see that. Um, I would guess like Kyle Pitts or Brevin Jordan, Miami. They're probably up there. Let's see. In the meantime, um, while you look up those stats, just another fun performance. I don't know why. I don't know what it is with me and picking against Nevada especially this season of all years, but like I said, I just couldn't be happier to be wrong. And you know what? I'm going to continue to be wrong, and I love it. I don't mind. Because in my mind, this is getting into the mind of Isaiah. It's a win-win. Hey, if we lose, a little bit of optimism is, hey, my prediction was right. And if I was wrong, that means we won. I try to put myself in these win-win situations in life, so, yeah, you're starting to see it unfold on the podcast. And are we ready with those cool Turner stats? Because I um, really don't want to get really deep into that. Thank you. Yeah, let's stop with the unnecessary talking about your brain and your, your uh, life. Is that, is that a good word for it? <laughs> I mean, like, anyways, uh, Cole Turner's second in the nation among tight ends and receptions. Who needs it? Oh, I have no idea. Is it Kyle Pitts? I have no idea who leads it. Hunter Long. Oh. I have no idea who that guy is. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, I don't follow college football around the nation that heavily. Um, sorry, Kyle Long. I think of Kyle Long. I think of the former Bears offensive lineman. It's Hunter Long, not Kyle. <laughs> Shows you how little I paid attention to college football. <laughs> My bad. Anyways, yeah, he has been one of the best tight ends in the conference if you want to consider him a tight end. He's a tight end that doesn't play like a tight end because he is just an excellent pass-catching tight end, if that's the way you want to. That's the way you want to word it. Excellent pass-catching tight end, good blocking tight end. He's just good all-around tight end, but he doesn't... When he's out wide, he doesn't play like a tight end for at all, and that's not a knock. That's a compliment in his regard. But anyways... And Isaiah, do you have anything more to add on this game? No, no, just a, another huge win that we needed. And on to San Jose State, which we'll talk to Pond earlier to, later this week. Couldn't be more excited. Go back in that regard. Okay. All right, so we're going to take a short break. We'll be uh, back with basketball again. Nevada has to beat San Jose State and have Boise State beat Wyoming to make the Mountain West title game because of the tiebreaker if Wyoming were to beat Boise State, uh, which includes a seventh place team. Yes, I said seventh place team that all three teams have played. A seventh place team. Nevada not, might not make it with the best winning percentage and best record in the conference because of a seventh place team. We'll be right back. We're going to talk to you
And we are back. Um, Nevada basketball played William Jessup yesterday. They beat them 86-64. William Jessup is an a NAIA team. They're not a Division I team. Because of the cancellation or the postponement due to COVID on Saturday. Or, no, the game would have been on Sunday. And they, the two teams couldn't find an alternate destination because the game was originally going to be in San Francisco, but the San Francisco City guidelines were that you couldn't, they were they were preventing anyone from hosting games there. So they couldn't come up with an alternate game, and they eventually just postponed it. And it, it can't be made up this season. It's going to be made up in the 2021-22 season. And so Nevada scheduled William Jessup, I believe it was on Friday, for recording this on Tuesday. They were the game happened on Monday, so the game happened yesterday, and Nevada won 86-64. William Jessup has played technically four scrimmage games entering yesterday. The weird part is, is none of them counted against their record or their stats for this year, but it counted against the team that they played. So, for example, Fresno State played William Jessup the first game of the season. William Jessup lost. 87-47. So it went in books as Fresno State won the game. 87-47. But it, William Jessup didn't technically lose, or at least per their record, their official record for this year, they didn't lose the game. So that was really weird. So Nevada beat them yesterday, 86-64. So it counts towards Nevada's record. Nevada's now 4-1 on the season. William Jessup is now still 0-0. Their first game isn't until the 15th, or the first official game, in air quotes isn't until the 15th. It was like a preseason for them, but like a, a non-preseason game for everyone else because they're facing Division One opponents. They faced now five of them. And yeah, that, that, that's a really weird dynamic, but yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird seeing Nevada play in the NIAA team. NAIA team instead of Division One, like you mentioned, but so weird how their season's turned out to this point, but oh well, a win is a win, and Gosh, coming off a couple of strong performances to start the year, this, in my opinion, was another one, especially offensively, which we'll get into. Yeah, Nevada had their best offensive performance of the year. At least in my opinion, they scored 86 points. Their previous high was 69 points, of course. I don't know how much you can weight it versus Division One teams versus an NAIA team, but it's something. And maybe there's something that kickstarts them in the future. I don't know. Um... William Jessup came out and competed for like at least the first half of the first half. They were giving Nevada a challenge. They were, it, Nevada started out quickly. It was kind of like just a back and forth, like jostle with Nevada, of course, in the lead because Nevada didn't trail the entire game. They led for over 94% of the game. And it was a bit of a jostle. Nevada got out to an early 9-0 run. They tied it at 12, and then Nevada in, Nevada got their lead to seven, eight points, and it was stayed throughout there for most of the second half. It got to four points later in the half, but William Jessup competed. Things fell apart from in the second half, at least late in the second half. Nevada got out to a couple big runs towards the end. Um, Grant Sheffield had his best game with the Wolfpack, 20 points, six rebounds, eight assists, and three blocks. All of those were team or not three blocks, three steals. All of those were team highs. Warren Washington had 18 points, 5 rebounds, and a block. That's a career high for him. He, his previous career high was 12 points. It was his only double-digit game, I think, of his career, maybe of the season. 
And so those two performances by itself in Nevada really fueled their victory. And it, it was good to see, especially Warren, who hasn't been involved much. I mean, he was involved against San Francisco, but he wasn't involved much in the previous three games in terms of the statistical category. So it was nice to see him finally get to the free throw line a lot and just to get uh, active on the offensive end. Oh, definitely. And just another well-rounded performance from Grant. He made an impact on the floor, especially when he needed him offensively. And we touched upon it on the, or I should say you touched upon it on the Pack Center pod, uh, Pack Center podcast, the Pack Center Twitter. If you haven't followed it already, you should follow it. Some fire stuff. At Pack Center NV. At Pack Center NV. You mentioned and you highlighted a couple drives from Grant, really just putting his head down and getting to the rim with you know, a lot of ferociousness, I would say. Just a lot of drive and determination. And we love seeing that. You know, you don't always have to settle for jumpers and stuff like that. Seeing him really just put the ball on the floor and drive with that much intensity was awesome to see. He got a couple easy buckets that way. Um, there, I don't think any of those were easy. I mean, there was a lot of drives where he was he was turning the corner, putting his head down, getting downhill, either if it was off the screens or it was just off the dribble in general. But there's just some tough laps that he made, But and especially for him being 6'2", but he's a bulky 6'2", so yet he possesses the strength and possesses the balance and the concentration to make those baskets, and he's done that for a majority of the season. I know some of them have been, I, mean, I guess if you want to consider them bad shots, I don't really think... Uh, it's not they're necessarily bad shots, but he's made some contested layups this season. Definitely. We saw that last night. So if he can continue that, kind of add that element to his game consistently throughout the year, he's just going to become a serious offensive force for us. And he's already been that in many aspects. So easily his best game, like you mentioned, and more room to grow. And just touching upon Ward Washington as well, he was another solid contributor with 18 points, five rebounds. That was, would you argue that's his? In 18 best? minutes. I mean, that's just efficiency. Would you argue that's his best game of the year as well? Yeah, oh yeah. No, yeah. The, there's no question about it. Yeah, I mean, I thought he just made a great impact, especially offensively. I know he was kind of slow, not slow in terms of like speed or anything, but just like slow to start the year, trying to get some of his offensive rhythm. But I think he really found it, and he made the most of every minute he was on the floor. He was very effective. Yeah, what do you think about Trey Coleman and Zane Meeks entering the starting lineup? That was something that it kind of surprised me, but it also kind of didn't. I had Zane in my starting lineup before the year started. I had him over KJ. KJ, this was just KJ's first game coming off the bench. I don't think KJ's played bad up to this point either, but Zane has been uh, a very good scoring contribution off the bench. He's provided like a, kind of a scoring punch off the bench. Um, he had... I think it was 12 points, no, 15 points against San Francisco. He had 18 versus Pacific uh, with 11 rebounds in that game. So he's obviously, these last couple of games, Alford's riding the hot hand, and I guess the best way to ride the hot hand is to start him. And I don't necessarily hate it. He did he did all right last night. He had nine points on four of seven shooting. He had a three. He had five rebounds. And so he didn't have a bad game off the bench. He only played 19 minutes. But I just thought it was an interesting move. Um, of course, Trey Coleman, the one that, I don't, did it shock you? Did any of these shock you at all? I was a little surprised to see Coleman in the starting lineup so early, but you know what? To his credit, he performed well as well, and I credit Alford 
for just mixing up with the lineup. I think we touched upon that in previous podcasts. Just you may see different lineups throughout the year, obviously with certain matchups and stuff like that. And I think Alfred really kind of keyed in on some of the offensive advantages that Meeks and Coleman bring to the floor. And Meeks may not have stuffed the stat sheet in any certain way, but he was effective and very efficient from the floor, and we needed it. So it'll just be interesting to see. I mean, right now a lot of players are performing well, especially down low, as we mentioned. So it's just going to be interesting to see like who Alfred goes with on a game-to-game basis because it could change in several different scenarios. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I was a little surprised by um, Coleman, but then again, I'm not surprised because he's been tremendous this year. Nevada can use this two-way. Not They could use it, but it's just a, a benefit would be using this just two-way capability and his two-way punch. I mean, he's still, I think, five of seven from deep, six of eight this year, or something around those numbers. And so he's been awfully efficient from three. Improvement, of course, from the free throw line. He's been dismal from there, but the entire team hasn't been great. Yeah, definitely. Just something to kind of keep an eye on going forward to see who makes it into that starting lineup because it's kind of open, <laughs> as we mentioned. So just something to kind of focus on. Yeah, let's, Nevada shot 54% from the floor, 34.8% from beyond the off. That's 54% as a season high. Nevada only shot 57% from the free throw line. I've talked about it. I talked about it last podcast that needs to improve. Um, that can't be that can't be continued throughout the year. I don't know if it's just new faces at the free throw line and it's just trying to get used to it. I don't know if it's depth perception because of no fans in the stands. There wasn't as many air balls last night. There wasn't as many air balls last night. So I don't maybe an event maybe we're finally getting our legs under. But there wasn't as many. There was a few, but there wasn't as many. Um, so that's a good sign at least, but Nevada's defense did a tremendous job. Um, William Jessup only shot 35% from the floor and 27% from deep. Over 50% of their shots came from beyond the arc, so they weren't afraid to shoot it. Isaiah's almost kind of, not really, but kind of close personal friend, James Joseph, had 14 points. Miles Corey had 14 points. Tim Strahaus had 12 points. They they were all effective. I, I think Corey was the most effective. But the Joseph had a run in the second half where he pretty much sparked a 9-2 run and cut it to almost single digits. It was like, oh, like they're making a run. They're still fighting here. But um, Nevada's defense, I think, did a good job. They were much better than they were against San Francisco. Again, it started a little bit slow for them in the defensive end. But I feel like as the game picked up, they, they picked up and their energy picked up. And there were some lulls in the second half, of course, but there's going to be lulls throughout a game. Um, but Nevada's energy, for the most part, was much better than what we saw a game ago. Oh, definitely. It seems like they were just after it more, a little more intense on both ends of the floor last night. So, And you know what? It produced a quality win. Got a shout-out, Carson High, Jaden DeJoseph. Miss you. Not really, but you're still a beast. I see you still putting up shots. We don't take, we don't talk about Carson High School on this podcast. Go, Douglas. Um, Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Listen, I don't make the rules. You don't make the rules? No, I don't. Okay, yeah, sure thing. It's only your podcast. <laughs> Anyways, no, just just a better defensive performance all around from Nevada. And 
really did a good job of just hounding the boards and kind of forcing uh, William Jessup's hand, just letting him shoot in some aspects and shooting some contested shots. And to William Jessup, they didn't really adjust to that fact. So I'd like to see that more often and kind of string together if we can put together those kind of defensive performances on the floor. Nevada has a bright future ahead. Yeah, they do. And um, next week, or actually this Friday, we have Grand Canyon at 6 p.m. How do you? What do you think about this? This is going to like all of the writers who have to cover these games are just going to like break them. Nevada plays Grand Canyon at 6 p.m. Nevada football plays the biggest game of the year at San Jose State at 7 p.m. So how is that going to work? I'm going to be writing my recap during the first half of this Nevada football game. This is going to be chaos. This is just going to be legitimate chaos. This is this is only for writers. I mean, I'm sure Nevada sports fans are going to be... This is going to be heaven for them almost. But for writers like Isaiah and I, we're going to be writing our stuff during both of these games and having both screens on. This is going to be kind of... Kind of... When I say kind of, I mean very hectic in a sense. Oh, definitely. That kind of deadline sense and just trying to get your story out there as quickly as possible. Quality is everything, so... It'll be fun. It's something. Um, never thought we'd really be put in that scenario, but I think we know which one takes precedence over the other, considering the circumstances, but that does not matter. Yeah, soccer has a lot of precedence to speak, man. I don't know if you heard that they're playing, they're playing in a championship game. Definitely. I mean, it's a must-watch game. I think it's on ESPN Telemundo. <laughs> no, yeah, football is... Football... Not not uh, European football, but American football is really holds the stones this weekend for the biggest really game of the season for Nevada sports in general. So that should be a fun one. They both should be fun. Isaiah, do you have anything more to add? Oh wait, before I met before we go, Nevada's three zero in the blue and blue. The uniforms, as we talked about last podcast, Nevada uniforms. I'm guessing they may have listened to this podcast. I don't know. I don't. I'm trying to remember if we mentioned the blue or blue. Mm-hmm. Did we? Okay. I, it was. I mean, I thought that was a. They're three zero this year. They're traveling to Las Vegas. I'm San Jose State's the home team, so they're probably going to go in their blues. But Nevada can go in the uh, white and white. They're they're one no this year in white and white. They're one in five in Jay Norvell's career, so I don't know if that's the best idea. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, though, if we could somehow squeak our blue and blues in this week, that'd be fantastic. You know, just cons- <laughs> just considering how well we've performed in those, I'd love to see it. But I don't know if that'll be the case. If we have to switch to white and white, that wouldn't be too bad. I mean. Oh, well. I, I just like from an aesthetic standpoint, blue on blue looks fire. We look good at blue on blue this year. San Jose State opens as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They're 5-0. and oh, They're undefeated on the year. Boise State, the other game that we're going to be keeping an eye on, our eye on on Saturday at 3 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Boise State opens as an 11-and-a-half-point favorite, so I'm guessing you can breathe a little bit if you're Nevada or if you're a Nevada fan because – Boise State's a pretty heavy favorite, but you still got to play the games. You still got to play the games. So if Nevada can take care of business, then all of our eyes are going to be on Boise State, Wyoming. If Nevada can't take care of business, 
none of this is going to matter anyways. So, that's that. Do you have anything more to add? Nope, I should do it. It'll be an exciting week in Nevada sports as we'll get into it. Alright, please like and subscribe. Give us a rating. A five-star rating, in fact. Um, I hope you're all having a safe, safe time at home. Um, we'll be doing finals, so we're still trying to iron out the schedule for winter break. I know there's going to be a couple weeks of uh, a hiatus in those couple weeks or winter break, but we're still going to be trying to put in that content for you. My last final is on Friday, so it's probably going to be a hectic day. I keep saying that on this podcast. I don't think the listeners even know when my finals are. But we're undergoing final schedule. Um, I hope you're all having a safe time. Uh, thank you for listening, and see you next week.